We have um, the scripture this morning is from Exodus chapter 20 through 22. Um, don't be alarmed. Actually, Pastor Tyler has chosen some excerpts, I believe, right? So um, you can open up your pew Bibles to page 60 if you're interested in reading along or um, look at the screen, of course, as well. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites this, You have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep, your goats, and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. This is Exodus 21, verses 12 through 14. Anyone who strikes a person with a fatal blow is to be put to death. However, if it is not done intentionally, but God lets it happen, they are to flee to a place I will designate. But if anyone schemes and kills someone deliberately, that person is to be taken from my altar and put to death. Exodus 21, verses 22 through 25. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Now Exodus 21, verses 28 through 29. If a bull gores a man or woman to death, the bull is to be stoned to death, and its meat must not be eaten. But the owner of the bull will not be held responsible. If, however, the bull has had the habit of goring, and the owner has been warned, but has not kept it penned up, and it kills a man or woman, the bull is to be stoned, and its owner also is to be put to death. Exodus 21, verses 33 through 34. If anyone uncovers a pit or digs one and fails to cover it and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the one who opened the pit must pay the owner for the loss and take the dead animal in exchange. Now Exodus 22 verses 1 through 5. Whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. If a thief is caught breaking in at night and is struck a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. But if it happens after sunrise, the defender is guilty of bloodshed. Anyone who steals must certainly make restitution. But if they have nothing, they must be sold to pay for their theft. If the stolen animal is found alive in their possession, whether ox or donkey or sheep, they must pay back double. If anyone grazes their livestock in a field or vineyard and lets them stray and they graze in someone else's field, the offender must make restitution from the best of their own field or vineyard. And our last section is Exodus 22, verses 10 through 13. If anyone gives a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any other animal to their neighbor for safekeeping, and it dies or is injured or is taken away while no one is looking, 
The issue between them will be settled by the taking of an oath before the Lord that the neighbor did not lay hands on the other person's property. The owner is to accept this and no restitution is required. But if the animal was stolen from the neighbor, restitution must be made to the owner. If it was torn to pieces by a wild animal, the neighbor shall bring in the remains as evidence and shall not be required to pay for the torn animal. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, every, every Sunday when there's a scripture reading, the person finishes by saying, the word of the Lord. Uh, and when we come to parts in the Bible like this, um, what does it mean that this is God's word for us? That's what we're going to talk about today, because there's some things that are pretty strange. There's, things, there's actually laws here that we can't obey because most of us don't own livestock. Um, so we're going to get into this today. Um, first, I'd like to pray uh, for this, this time. Lord, as it says in, in Psalm 119, open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law. Help us as we look into this uh, neglected and misunderstood uh, part of Scripture. Help us to see why it's in the Bible. Help us to glean the, the, the truths from it that you want for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. About 15 years ago, a journalist in Manhattan named A.J. Jacobs uh, set out on an immersive year-long writing project. He decided that he was going to read the Bible and uh, uh, copy out every single law or command he could find and spend one year trying to obey those commands as literally as possible in Manhattan. So this guy was not religious at all. He didn't even believe in God. He was Jewish, but like he said in the book, I, my family is Jewish the way Olive Garden is Italian. So not very Jewish. Um, but he wanted to see what it would be like to try to actually obey all of the Bible's commands. Genesis to Revelation. Um, so he ate kosher. As, as you can imagine, most of the, his focus was on the Old Testament because that's where most of the laws are. He ate kosher. He didn't wear fabrics of mixed um, fibers, you know, two different types of material. Uh, he resolved not to lie or steal or covet or look lustfully at a woman. He didn't work on the Sabbath. Uh, he even took the command, be fruitful and multiply, to heart. And that year, his wife gave birth to twins. Um, now, he did, he did find many laws that were actually impossible for him legally to comply with. Like, he couldn't walk into a store and begin smashing idols. He couldn't stone an adulterer, although he did throw a pebble at a man in the park who said he was an adulterer. Um, as you can imagine, he got, he got into some pretty weird and awkward situations. And at the end of that year-long experiment, he wrote a book about it called The Year of Living Biblically, One Man's Humble Quest to Follow the Bible as Literally as Possible. One of his big conclusions was this. 
He said, there are lots of good teachings in the Bible, but we have to pick and choose. Uh, we should focus on the parts that teach love and compassion and tolerance and just ignore the parts that promote intolerance or extremism. Now this week, we're going to begin to examine, examine the law of Moses in the book of Exodus, um, which includes some commands that can seem extreme or harsh or strange to us. And as Christians, to be honest, we don't often know what to do with these laws, right? So we say, well, you shouldn't pick and choose when you read Scripture, but we end up picking and choosing. We say, well, we just don't have to obey those laws in the Old Testament. And we know that somehow it has to do with Jesus coming and that that changes things, but how do you know what laws are still in force and what are not? Aren't the Ten Commandments still relevant? Those were just a few verses before what we read today. So why are those in force and these are not? How do we pick and choose? How do we pick and choose? Well, this morning I want to explain a better way than picking and choosing. At the risk of oversimplification and and listen, I this was a very difficult sermon to write this week um, because it's the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the law and the gospel, is so massive, and we can't talk about all of it. But so at the risk of oversimplification, oh, and I don't understand all of it. I'll say that. At the risk of oversimplification, I have three essential steps that we need to take as we read Old Testament laws like these. Um, I'd encourage you to open your Bibles, or keep it open, to Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 22. We will be uh, dipping into it uh, through, verse, through chapter 22, verse 15. Um, I hope you walk away this morning feeling less intimidated by Old Testament law, but perhaps even eager to see what God has to say to you through this part of the Bible. Um, after all, this, this is the law that David said was a delight to his heart. Uh, this is the law that permeates 77% of our Bibles, which is the Old Testament. This is the law that Paul said was God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.16. And it's the law that Jesus said was about him, Luke 24, and which he fulfilled, Matthew 5. So we'd better understand what it's all about if we're going to get something out of it. So three steps. Step one, understand its original purpose. Understand its original purpose. Th these laws were written uh, for us in a way, but not to us. So we need to understand who they were written to and why. To see what are we even looking at here. So remember where we are in the story. 
And this will be a brief recap of the book of Exodus. Actually, starting with Abraham. God made a covenant with this guy named Abraham. Abraham's descendants ended up in Egypt as slaves. That's where Exodus begins. They're toiling under this oppressive regime of Pharaoh. Um, God selects Moses, this reluctant savior, and calls him to uh, set God's people free. God does that through the plagues and through the Passover and releases them from Pharaoh's hand. Uh, They walk through the waters of the Red Sea and then the waters crash together and, and swallow up Pharaoh's army and so the people are saved. And we're seeing, by the way, how this is all a, a paradigm for our salvation in Christ. But then after God saves his people, he begins teaching them how to trust him and how to obey him. So he provides bread in the wilderness, manna. He provides water for them coming out of rocks. He teaches them to depend on him. And then he leads them to this mountain called Mount Sinai, and last time we were in Exodus, we, we read about how they heard God's voice thundering from heaven. From this, uh, this dramatic display of God's power on Mount Sinai, and they heard audibly the Ten Commandments. This was the core of Israel's law. We talked about how that was not a way to be saved, not a ladder to climb to God, but a road on which saved people should walk, outlining God's will. And the purpose of the law was so that God's people would reflect his holiness to the world. God said in Exodus 19, remember that, If Israel obeyed him, they would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He wanted them to reflect him out to the world um, so that the other nations would see this great God and come to worship him. Now, the laws here in mainly 21 and 22 and 23 are an expansion upon the Ten Commandments. If if the Ten Commandments are like the big principles, these are like the case laws. They begin with the words, if. Um, So, if you buy a Hebrew servant, if people quarrel and one person hits another with a stone or a fist, if a bull gores a man or woman to death, if a thief is caught breaking in at night, etc., etc., This is like taking those big principles and applying them to the little nitty-gritty details of daily life. That's what this is. And so the very first thing to understand is that these were written for a particular people in a particular place and time and um, for a particular purpose. And so it can be tempting to just stop there and say, okay, well, they're not for us and not to us, so what does it matter? Let's just move on to the New Testament. But if we do that, we will miss out on the great value that they do have. So step two is to see, is to, to look for their goodness. Look for the goodness in these laws. 
Look for things that reflect God's character and his will. That can be challenging because as we read these laws um, about things like altars and slaves and goring oxen, it can be a jarring experience. Um, some of them are just hard to relate to. Others are, um, others seem harsh. Um, one reason for this is that they were not written to people in uh, 21st century America. They were written to a people living in a Bronze Age agrarian culture. Um, and so we need to look past, look through the strangeness, and be able to see their goodness. They're not arbitrary. They're not harsh. They're not uh, uh, just um, random. They aren't burdensome. They're good laws, and they reflect the character of a good God. So let's look at a few examples. Uh, I meant to include part of this in the reading, but chapter 21 begins with laws about slaves or servants. The NIV translates it as servant, but um, th these people that it's talking about were closer to what we think of as a slave they were someone who had sold himself into bonded, indentured servitude to pay off a debt or to get out of uh, bankruptcy or something. Um, and references in this chapter, the chapter 21, verses 2 through 14 and beyond, make it clear that these people were seen in some ways as property. And so we think, oh my goodness, that's terrible. How could God allow that, right? But then if you read it carefully, you'll notice that these laws were not meant to promote slavery, but to strongly limit slavery and to elevate the rights of indentured servants. Uh, for whatever reason, you know, God did not totally... Uh, turn the culture upside down. Israel was to work within the, um, the realities, the economic realities of their time and place, but to do it in a way that was just and good. So case in point, chapter 21, verse 2, which I meant to include in the reading. It says, If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years. But in the seventh year, he shall go free. Interesting. So right here, it's saying the maximum term for a slave or bondservant is six years. But in the seventh year, you need to let them go. And as you read through, you notice that um, even female slaves had significant rights and options open to them and protections from abuse. Furthermore, we see in 21 verse 16 that kidnapping is outlawed. Anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. That severely limits the practice of slavery. One of the interesting things is that archaeologists have uncovered many other law codes from nations surrounding Israel at this general period. 
You may have heard of one like the, the Code of Hammurabi. I don't know if you studied that in high school or college. This was a, a Mesopotamian king who had this, um, a law written to reflect, you know, this is what life is like in my kingdom. And in the, the Code of Hammurabi and in all the other law codes, um, the interesting thing is that the way in the Bible, slavery, uh, slaves are given rights like they don't have in other law codes. They're given options. They're elevated as human beings and not merely property. That is unique to the laws of Israel. It's also telling that this whole section about slavery is the first thing God includes in these case laws. Isn't that interesting? Maybe it's because Israel had been slaves they knew what it was like to be abused and to be worked to death. And God does not want them repeating those kinds of abuses. Well, let's look at another example of something that is, is difficult for us to deal with. Uh, chapter 21, verse 23. <coughs> talking about uh, in the context is two men are having a fight if they um, uh, hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, which scholars think either can be a miscarriage or a stillbirth. They're not sure. But anyway, it says in verse 23, if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, bruise wound for wound, bruise for bruise. We read that and think, how barbaric is that? How harsh? I can't believe God would allow his people to do something like that. But if you really think about it, you realize this law was not written to promote revenge and, and cruelty, but to prevent it. It's saying if someone gives you a bruise, you cannot break their arm. If someone knocks out your tooth, you cannot take their life. The punishment needs to be proportional to the crime. And it's implicit here that Israel's judges would have authority to, find, to, to dole out a punishment that was proportional to the crime and to limit revenge-seeking and retaliation. We see that principle of proportionality and restitution throughout these laws as well, because God is just. God is fair. For example, 22, chapter 22, verse 1. Whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. How is it proportional to have to pay five cattle for one ox? Well, um, an ox is a work animal, so not only are you missing your animal, but you're missing all the work you could have done with that animal in the time it was stolen. Not to mention the fact that it would take years to train an ox to be a good work animal, right? Anyone here is a farmer probably understands that better than I do. 
It would be like saying, if you steal a plow truck and sell it, not only do you have to replace the truck, but you have to replace the money they would have made in all the plowing they would have done when they didn't have their truck. You see, God cares about fairness and restitution. Many of the other laws in this section reveal that God cares about economic justice. Thieves have to pay restitution for what they steal or damage. If they damage someone's property or injure one of their animals. Okay, I want to point out just one more feature in these laws that helps us see their goodness. We see here a God who is not arbitrary and uh, cold-hearted, but a God who is realistic about sin in real life. See, God knew that he, he told his people, do not kill, do not steal, uh, do not dishonor your father and mother. But he knew that those things would happen in various forms in the course of life. And so uh, uh, he knew uh, that this law was meant to help his people deal with those situations. Look at chapter 22, verse 2. If a thief is caught breaking in at night and is struck a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. But if it happens after sunrise, the defender is guilty of bloodshed. So murder is wrong, obviously. But if someone is breaking into your home in the dark, and this is before flashlights or light switches, and you can't see them, and they get killed, you're not liable. However, if the sun is up and you can see them and you know who they are, right, you are responsible not to harm them or kill them in, that, in the struggle. So don't be too quick. We should not be too quick to judge these laws as outdated or strange or harsh. But instead we should see the great value and goodness that they had for Israel. They were meant to promote justice and compassion and fairness and uh, to limit the effect of sin and to make Israel a people that would display God's holiness to the world. God's love, God's compassion, God's justice. So we, we need to understand what they are. We need to look for their goodness, but we still have one very important step to go. Here it is. We need to convert these laws, these old covenant laws, into new covenant realities. Let me explain what I mean by that. And I'm going to start with, a, with an illustration um, imagine that you are cleaning your attic and you find a box. You open it up, this old box, and you notice some old papers and artifacts and in the bottom a bunch of copper coins. Um, they're not pennies, you can see that, but you, you wipe one off and notice it has the date 1786 printed on it along with the words Vermont Res Publica. So you, you take them to a coin shop 
and learn that between 1785 and 1791, Vermont functioned as its own republic, and they minted its own, it minted its own money called Vermont Coppers. So you have in your hand a very valuable treasure, but you can't spend it, right? <laughs> you can't take it to Maple Fields to buy a coffee. You can't bring it to your bank and deposit it. It has to be converted into something that you can spend today. Now, it would be crazy to do that. You'd want to save it for it as an artifact, right? But the illustration only, only goes so far. Okay. Um, in a similar way, when we look at this treasure of Old Testament laws, they must be converted into new covenant currency under Christ. So as Christians, we are members not of the old covenant. We are not under the law of Moses, right? It would actually be wrong for us to try to obey all these laws in the same way Israel had to obey them because we are not living within that system of salvation. We are living under the law of Christ, as the New Testament calls it, under the new covenant of forgiveness for sins, of the Holy Spirit regenerating our hearts, of following Jesus and looking to Him for the law of love, the law of Christ. Does that mean we ignore the Old Testament and laws like this? No. It means that through them we see um, how it was preparing God's people for Jesus. And how we can now obey all of the law by following him. Sometimes the New Testament does that conversion for us very clearly. So, um, for example, all of the Ten Commandments are reiterated in the New Testament, which is why they apply to us. Some of them are transformed and deepened. For example, the Sabbath. We are not meant to slavishly obey uh, one day a week as the Sabbath because Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And so as we trust in him, that is fulfilling the Sabbath. He gives us soul rest. Other laws um, aren't spelled out in the New Testament. We have to think more uh, I want to say creatively, but we need to r reflect on how these things are fulfilled in Christ. So what about the one we read this morning about restitution for damaged property? Well, uh, Jesus was once asked what the greatest commandment in the law was. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen, verse 40. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. That means the purpose of everything in these laws was for people to love God with all their hearts and to love their neighbor as themselves. So, the laws of restitution were about love 
of neighbor. So if you're a Christian and someone steals something from you, uh, Jesus gives you compassion and forgiveness for that person. Um, He teaches you not to retaliate and seek revenge. He teaches you, you can even waive your legal rights to show grace to that person, the same way God has shown grace to us. If you are a thief and you steal something and you come to know Jesus, Jesus says you need to make restitution. Yes, you need to seek forgiveness. But I'm also going to change your heart so that you want to do those things and that you don't steal anymore. That's the law of Christ. That's how different it is from the law of Moses. Now, as members of the New Covenant, we can also look back and see how God revealed His nature and His will progressively over time. Slavery is a great example. So in Exodus, in the Law of Moses, slavery is accepted as a social reality and the laws limit its use and its cruelty. After Jesus comes and brings a new covenant, Paul writes, uh, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28 In other words, you better uh, treat someone equally, no matter if they were a slave or not. And so Paul writes to his uh, friend Philemon and about this slave named Onesimus and says, uh, you need to release this slave, give him his freedom, and treat him as a bro- full brother in Christ. You see how progressively God revealed what his true nature was. So the law of Moses served its purpose, good purpose, but that was to prepare for and lead people to Jesus. And one of the most fun and, and thrilling things about reading the Old Testament, even in these obscure laws, is to see how they were preparing God's people for Jesus. How they point to him, how they were fulfilled in him, how Jesus continues some of them and um, uh, uh, fulfills others in a way that we're not obeying them in the same way. So there's no other way to obey the Bible's commands than to follow Jesus. He is the fullest revelation of God. He is the highest authority. And because Jesus fulfills the whole Old Testament, when you trust and obey him, you end up following the law, the spirit of the entire law. Friends, I hope that this year, Um, And every year is a year of living biblically for you and me. Which does not mean to write down a list of every rule you can find and follow it literally, but to look to Jesus and to follow him. And therefore, obey the law of Christ, the law of God. Let's pray. Lord God, I know this uh, topic and these scriptures uh, 
are challenging. Uh, help us to continue thinking about um, the law and its relationship to us and how they're fulfilled in Christ. Um, help us to, um, to not look past these parts of Scripture, to not sort of cast them aside, to not pick and choose, but to obey Jesus, uh, which is the purpose for why the law was written to begin with. Give us wisdom, uh, change our hearts more and more so that we long to do what is right and that we long to um, glorify you in this world, which is the purpose, the original purpose of Israel's law. So help us, God, as each of us as we do this, continue to open our eyes and to let us see the treasures in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.